Hello and welcome back to the Coached by Dan podcast. This week we're up to episode 32 and I'm joined with Brian Ohengaza from the Fit Clinic talking about how to optimize your diet for general health and well-being. Now, before we go into the podcast, I need to make a brief apology for having a little two-week hiatus on the podcast. So if you're a uh, frequent podcast listener, you'll know that I upload podcasts every Friday and the Friday gone by, so the week before this went live, um, there was no podcast. Uh, I was feeling a bit unwell, um, had a bit of a sore throat, a bit of a cough, a temperature, a bunged up nose, and to be brutally honest, I was just in no shape to record a podcast, because number one, it would have sounded like dirt, because I sounded like dirt, and number two, um, I just wasn't there, Um, I was in bed the whole time today, and to speak was just a big pain on the throat. So that's why I didn't record a podcast. However, I'm recording three this week, and I'm going to plan on putting an extra one up next week to make up for it, so we should be back on schedule um, with a couple extra podcasts coming over the next few weeks. Um, So yeah, this week I had a really, really great chat with Brian Ohengesa. As I mentioned there, Brian is a nutritionist. Uh, He studied nutrition in UCD, and he has his precision nutrition level one and two, and he's currently working in the fit clinic. Um, we talk all about, like I said, the start, how to create a really kind of, how to optimize your diet um, from an overall health point of view. Um, it's a really interesting chat talking about kind of stress eating, emotional eating, you know, things people kind of lack a lot in their diet to do with like protein and fiber intake, about how to deal with cravings. It generally is a very, very enlightening episode. Um, it's great to hear myself as a coach, to hear things that could help me in my practice. And in me saying that, I know it's something that's going to benefit you massively. So enjoy the podcast. And as always, any questions with anything you touch on in the podcast, feel free to get in touch with myself or the guest in question. And any questions about online coaching, head over to coachbydown.com. So without further ado, here is episode 32 of the Coached by Dan podcast. Enjoy. You're listening to the Coached by Dan podcast. Dan is an online coach and personal trainer with the goal of helping you become the happiest, healthiest, and most confident version of yourself you can be. Here, we talk about all things health, fitness, and mindset related to help you achieve anything you set your mind to. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's podcast. How you getting on? I'm good, man. Uh, how are you? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Um, so yeah, disclaimer before we go to the podcast, um, before we actually did this, I had to message Ryan and just ask him to specify how to pronounce his second name because I was just like, no. This, this is it happens on every every podcast I ever come on. Like, yeah, I was imagining, I was going to ask, I was going to send the DM and I was like, is this really bad for me to say? And I was like, <laughs> if I'm asking this, there's definitely been about 10 other people asking the same questions. I'm like, I've had I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Yeah, and then it's like, you know, you could think to ask someone that might know me, but then it only puts them in the spotlight. I'm like, I don't fucking know. Like, yeah, I don't know, let me get back to you. They ask someone yeah. else, and all of a sudden, there's a big, like, 10-person chain of how to Yeah, it's been 10 years that I've known Brian. It's it's too late for me to ask him how to actually say it. That's gas. It's actually, yeah, actually funny. Actually, there's, a, there's a guy over in the gym I work, and there's a guy, like, 7 a.m. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I have a session with the same person, and there's one lad in the gym like who would kind of they'd be kind of train the same place we would kind of be training in and uh for the last year he's calling me sam and like it got to like two months in where i was like it's been too long i can't correct him yeah i'm now sam um yeah. so i was roll with it yeah um, so I was, you got your birth cert changed and everything 
But no, but that's the best part though. So one of the other PTs came in with Chad and was like, oh, Dan, how are you getting on? And I could see your man's head kind of turn, but like, oh shit, I can call him Sam the whole time. And it was from there, the next day I remember we were in, we actually, sorry, the following Friday we were in, and I remember he was chatting to me. And like, you could tell he was just trying to go out of his way to say my name as many times as possible to let <laughs> me know, I swear I know your name and I'm not calling you Sam, I know it's Dan. Like, okay, gas, gas. Uh, yes, I know. I, I know but he knew I know he was wrong instead of being like, why is that other person calling him Dan? That's so, yeah, like, so you know, you, you know, it's Sam, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Come uh, on, dude. So today uh, we are chatting about diet, nutrition, all that fun stuff. We're going to be chatting about how you kind of how to optimize your diet for kind of general health and well-being. But before we're going to go into that, um, obviously, for those listening who don't quite know who Brian is, Brian, if you want to give yourself a quick little intro as to who you are, that'd be brilliant. Yes, indeed. Uh, so my name is Brian Oengesa, as you so rightly said. Um, I am a nutritionist. Um, I'm the head nutrition coach in a company called The Fit Clinic. Um, and I, I did a nutrition degree in University College Dublin. Uh, so it was four years doing that. Uh, once I graduated, I uh, went to work for Body First Nutrition, which I'm sure you know. Um, and while I was doing that, I was also studying the Precision Nutrition coaching courses. Uh, so I did level one of that and level two of that. And uh, some, some way through the level two, I started working for the Fit Clinic. Um, and that's what I've been doing since. So uh, I do that full time now. That's, that's my full time job is uh, head coach there. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's a short, short part of it. Brilliant. Um, you usually work in Body First, didn't you? Yeah. 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 Am I um, right in saying, like, I, I have Body First on Snapchat for like years now? Like, this is, <laughs> did you, were you like really active in their Instagram, yeah. their Snapchat stories like years ago? Yeah, me and me and Kev. Uh, yeah. That was the the golden era of the body first chapter. Man, that was so much fun. Like we we talk about that all the time. That like really? yeah, how much crack I, that was. But I, I remember when I started following you on Instagram, I was like, <laughs> "Where have I seen Brian?" But like I was like, "What well, did I know from somewhere?" And then yeah. like I think it was only a few a few a few a few weeks ago. I was kind of like, obviously, you post something. I was like, Snapchat body first. There we go. Oh, it was so funny, man. Like. We used, like you're if you were watching, you remember like we used to, used to just do skits and like kind of just take the piss out of stuff. And uh, I mean, it, it was big, it was fairly popular. At, like it, it was popular enough at one point that it happened more than once that where me and Kev would be out and some stranger would come up and was like, "Ah, oh, user from the body for a Snapchat. Let, let's, oh, buy, let's buy you a drink." <laughs> uh, and I was like, "This is deadly." Yeah. Um, so yeah, that that was a lot of fucking fun, man. I I enjoyed that a lot. That's pretty. That's so good. No, they were, they were, they were gas. I thought they were fucking... Oh, that's the idea that you used to watch it, yeah. Gas, gas. <laughs> um, so, you're saying that, so you, obviously, Body First is, is in the past now, but you're working with the Fit Clinic right now, aren't you? Mm-hmm. So, what actually is the Fit Clinic? Yeah, so the Fit Clinic is a, it's an online coaching company, and uh, we do consulting as well, if anyone's in... 90% of what we do is coaching people... Uh, in nutrition and lifestyle on a one-to-one basis uh, all online um, so you can do it from anywhere uh, which is handy now especially um, and we've got a really really big team of coaches there's eight of us at the moment uh, in there so we all have uh, kind of varying skill sets and kind of expertise in nutrition and coaching so it means that we can just cater for a lot of different people you know from athletes to 
general population, like your typical body composition, but also into things like on the more clinical side, you know, digestive issues, uh, maybe hormonal issues, um, relationships with food, that sort of the psychological aspect of that as well. So, um, yeah, that, that is what we do. Uh, you know, we try to put out a lot of good content as well um, on our social media and our website. Um, uh, you know, webinars, things like that. Uh, so pretty much, you know, whatever we can help people with, uh, kind of try and get involved with. But the uh, yeah, the the main thing is the coaching one to one. Class, brilliant. I suppose if someone was, if someone's kind of like wants to work with the Flick Fit, the Fit Clinic, even would they kind of go in saying like, oh, I want to work with Brian this kind of way, or would it be kind of a case of we we'd allocate you to whoever we feel like would work best, or how would that kind of work? Yeah. So. Um, it, it depends. Like you can, you can request to work with me potentially. Um, you, like actually we, uh, we, we put this up today that we're, <laughs> said we're like, is a good tagline. It's like, we're like uh, Tinder for a nutritionist, right? So, you, you know, you get assigned to the person that is the best fit for you. Okay. Um, so that'll be based on the screening form. You will likely end up with the coach that is best suited to you. Um, provided that there are spaces so you know someone can request to work with me if they want um that and then if they do that will usually happen but you know quite often i don't have too many spaces um, or when i do it's not for very long so um but thankfully we have such a, a good team that you know it doesn't matter you're going to get a quality service with whoever you end up with um but yeah we try and try and match the client to the coach that we think will suit them best and yeah, it's cool to be able to do that actually um, Brilliant. make it more individualized and bespoke unreal that sounds class that's brilliant um because I, I started following the fake there on instagram because obviously through yourself uh there last week and like the, the content the page is it's brilliant it's i love it um yourself though how obviously obviously you're a nutritionist you've done obviously in college and ucd you've done it in the precision nutrition level one and two um mm-hmm. what kind of got you into what kind of got you into nutrition like why why nutrition yeah, it's a question. Um, I think it's kind of a very stereotypical way that a lot of us would have got into nutrition because, you know, I started out as a teenager and I was playing sports. I was playing basketball um, all through secondary school. And I was quite uh, skinny as a, as a teenager. Um, I don't know what, what was that. I was probably, you know, around, like I'm six foot now. So say around six foot and probably, you know, sub definitely sub 70 kilos anyway. Um, and I just wanted to start going to the gym, start lifting weights to, uh, you know, build myself up and get stronger to be able to play better and, um, to be able to handle myself on the court better. It was, it was pretty good, but it was just like, uh, getting shoved around a little bit on the court. So I was like, all right, if I'm bigger and stronger, that will definitely help. And so I started going to the gym when I was you know, 16, whatever age they would let me in at. And, uh, it's, it's just, it got very interested then in, in learning more about that and then how nutrition plays a role in developing your physique and uh, supporting your performance. Um, so I stuck with that, like, you know, from then on. And then by the time, uh, by the time I came around to come to college, it was like, all right, this, you know, I'm really, really interested in nutrition, the nutrition side of this whole kind of health and, and physique development um, and sports performance so let's go do that and uh, that yeah that's how, how I got into it brilliant really 
similar starting to how I kind of get into it. Yeah. Saying six foot sub 70 kilos. Like that's kind of my kind of my, it's a few posts on Instagram made where kind of the starting line is, you know, six foot under 70 kilos. <laughs> six, seven. So yeah, like it's, it's like, I suppose, yeah, like a lot of people, obviously, like you said there, obviously a lot of, I think a lot of lads will kind of, I know anyway, kind of from a PT point of view, kind of get into it for that kind of reason, sense of like, you know, Johnny Younger days, quite skinny, want to kind of make a difference. And then kind of that led them on to kind of want to help others in their kind of position. So cool. I love that. So I said towards the start, obviously we're going to be chatting mainly about kind of how to optimize your diet um, for general health and well-being. But I suppose when like, when saying that, like how important would you say one's diet would be when looking to optimize like how how sorry how important would someone's overall nutrition be for optimizing that kind of general health and well-being yeah so it's a, it's a good question and i mean it definitely plays a big big role but like when we're when we're thinking about health and optimal health and what that means like it's very multifaceted so we can't just say you know it's just down to nutrition or it's just down to exercise um or whatever else because it's all these overlapping factors that are going to contribute to your you know not only your physical health but also your mental health your emotional health and um, which is as important if not more important you know so there's all these factors overlapping and i think it's about trying to strike some sort of a balance between all of those because you know if i give you the example of someone maybe someone who's like really really on point to their nutrition and their diet um but it means that on a, on a Friday evening, if their friends are going out for a meal, they stay home and just have the perfectly prepared meal that they have made, but they, they stay home and then they're not going and socializing with their friends. You know, that's going to be a loss from the, say, social health bank account, possibly mental and emotional there too, you know, for the sake of putting a few more quid into the, uh, you know, nutritional physical health accounts. And it's, it's, I don't know if you can tease all those apart to see, you know, which ones are most important um, because they're all important. So, I mean, nutrition, I think most people could probably do with improving their nutrition. Like let's, let's not get that wrong, but that's just to think about it more broadly. And then where nutrition comes into it, you know, uh, first of all, you know, you need micronutrients and vitamins and minerals to actually be healthy and not to be sick and to, you know, reduce the, reduce the risk of, certain diseases that you might get, um, you know, depending on exposure or lack of exposure to certain nutrients over time. Um, so it's, it's pretty big in, in disease prevention uh, and keeping you well and healthy uh, from a physical point of view. You know, you can look at, say, you know, blood work, you know, someone gets their blood test on, that can be a good indication of how healthy or not their lifestyle or their nutrition is. And then, you know, you can change your nutrition to manipulate different variables there like controlling blood sugar or blood cholesterol that sort of thing um it's going to give you energy it's going to make you feel well like you know it's connected to so many different states of health um we also have to consider the other points too um so it doesn't become so out of balance that like i said you're neglecting other parts of the health um other pillars of health uh, for the sake of you know, maybe if your nutrition's already at 80% or 90%, you know, do you need to get to another 5% or would you be better trying to make things more balanced? Yeah, um, exactly. I think, I think 
when it comes to like, again, we kind of talk about that kind of overall health and well-being, you know, like I suppose there's so many different things that going to come into account when looking to achieve that quote-unquote optimal health that, you know, I suppose if you've got, if you kind of purely rely on nutrition to do that, you know, you're going to find that everything else takes a massive hit, <laughs> like the social aspect, like, yeah, grand, you can be quote-unquote absolutely perfect with your nutrition, eat most nutrient-dense meals 24-7, like all the time. But then what happens when your mates say, hey, we're actually going out for a pizza, do you want to come with us? You're like, actually, no, do you know what? That doesn't align with my quote-unquote nutrient-dense, super healthy, quote-unquote healthy fucking lifestyle. So can I actually do that? And then, like you said there, like that kind of, you know, it kind of, it kind of there's trade-offs with certain things, with certain other aspects of kind of that quote-unquote general health. So, and like, I think you will mention one point there, got kind of 90%, like you can strive for perfection in no matter what you do, but like, you know, that 10%, that t- it's not going to take away from, you know, doing 90% of things to the best of your ability. So if you do nutrition or anything for that matter, that kind of contributes to that overall general health. If you can do everything like 80, 90% of the time, as best you can, like that 20, 10%, it's not going to, it's not going to take away from everything else. John, can I Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, yeah, like, it, you have to, I suppose, look at your, how your life is set up right now and say, okay, well, where am I lacking? You know, where have I not invested as much? And maybe can I bring, you know, the nutrition side up? Because, um, you know, maybe you go out and you sink a lot of points with your friends multiple times per week. You know, your, your social health is probably taken care of there. Mm. And you probably are trading off some physical health for that, maybe. Um, so, yeah, it's looking at, you know, at these different pillars, you know, how's your how your relationships, how's your nutrition, how's your exercise and activity, your stress, your sleep, and you know, where, where do you need to make some more um, deposits, let's say. Brilliant. Yeah, the whole kind of deposit kind of way to look at it, fucking brilliant. In the sense of like, yeah, like there's always gonna be, no matter what you do, there's always gonna be trade-offs. So understanding like, I could do this really, really well, but that means this may take a bit of a hit. So it's kind of, it's finding that overall balance for you yourself, because everyone's gonna be different in terms of kind of, what they want from life. So I suppose it's kind of understanding what trade-offs you want to take and kind of going from there. Um, and so it's kind of going more from that kind of nutritional standpoint. So say we have someone who, you know, from that overall kind of health side of things, the nutrition is lacking and it is one of those points where they want to bring up, I suppose, where would you feel kind of people fall down most when striving to do their best from a nutritional point of view? Um, so we can look at, say, the, the makeup of the diet or dietary patterns and see what, what tends to lack there. Um, and we can also talk about more kind of psychological sides of it as well. But say for just the actual nutrition and talking about foods, let's say, you know, most people probably don't eat enough plant foods. So they don't eat enough uh, fruits and vegetables. They don't eat enough fiber as a result. Um, which, you know, if you can increase that and you eat more of those kind of foods, you definitely improve your health. Um, it depends on what someone's goals are as well. So, do you know, if, if someone has uh, any sort of weight loss goals, because generally having, um, you know, less body fat, if you are overweight, like l- losing that is going to improve your health markers. So you look at high pro- higher protein diets there in that context um, are quite health healthful and helpful. Um, and most people don't eat enough protein overall, uh, in my opinion. So that's that's usually one we have to work on pretty early on with with people. And then and then even just for the the for the sake of being able to maintain muscle mass, um, you know, protein is important there. And that's you know not even just for aesthetics or you know being strong, but 
in later life, you know, people run into sarcopenia, which is uh, age-related muscle wasting. Um, and it's a big, big problem in the elderly because it means they're less independent, um, they're less able to take care of themselves. Because, you know, if, you, if you're not strong enough to get up out of a chair, then all of a sudden you can't live independently anymore. Um, you know, maybe, you know, if your protein intake has been too low for a long time or you never built up any degree of muscle mass, you know, if you don't have that quad strength, to just get up out of a chair or get off the toilet or something. Um, you know, that is not good for your longevity or for your health. Same thing for uh, people falling down. Uh, you know, if you're stronger and more muscle mass there, uh, you're probably going to do better with that. And then we can also look at things like uh, specific nutrients. So people tend not to consume enough marine omega-3 fats. So they're the ones you'd find in oily fish uh, specifically. Um, you know, most people don't eat enough of enough oily fish. So the likes of salmon, mackerel, sardines. Uh, so they could be lacking in those uh, nutrients, which are very important for, uh, you know, cognitive health, cardiovascular health, so, you know, heart and uh, vitamin D, especially is, is a big problem in Ireland, uh, especially this time of year now getting into autumn and winter. Um, you know, during the summer, if you actually get the sun exposure during the day, you probably have a decent amount of vitamin D. Um, but many people don't even do that. You have to consider that too, because if they're maybe working a nine to five job and they don't step outside at all in that time period, uh, you know, Monday to Friday, they're probably not getting enough sun exposure. Um, so vitamin D supplementation tends to be quite important for people. Um, so those would be, yeah, those would be some of the main factors talking about plant foods uh, and fiber as a byproduct of that. Uh, those tend to be too low. Uh, and then protein intake, another one. And then in terms of specific nutrients, uh, vitamin D and omega-3s there, like four of the main things we would look at, you know, straight off the bat for, you know, the majority of people. Brilliant. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Like obviously work my own clients, like kind of, it, it, it's, it's so, it's very, what's the word familiar hearing kind of fiber, protein, ve like veg, all that kind of stuff kind of coming to play in edges. Cause it is, it is, it is like one of the bigger things that, because we look at kind of the availability and kind of easiness of some foods, like it, it just becomes generally harder to kind of, I suppose from a, from a, what's the word I'm looking for? Like just from like a, like a, I don't know what I'm looking for to even say here. Like I suppose from an, like an availability point of view, like, you know, getting more protein, getting more veg in, it is more, I suppose, from a lot of people's point of view, like more of an effort to get, to get mm. done. So like from your experience, like anyone who is kind of lacking in kind of like, doesn't really have a habit set in place or finds struggles to kind of meet their protein goals or kind of get more veg in, or kind of fiber in their diet. How would you kind of go about kind of implementing that into more, like more into their diet? Yeah, so one of, the, one of the things I always look at when I'm starting with somebody is you want to you meet the person where they're actually at uh, in terms of where their habits are. So, you know, if you have a typical dietary pattern, maybe they have porridge or cereal with some fruit in the morning, um, you know, maybe a sandwich, um, you know, crisps and a chocolate bar or something for lunch, and then standard kind of dinner, you know, maybe a curry rice or meat and two veg, something like that. You know, you want, you want to start with that sort of template and say, okay, how can we make that a bit better uh, without me saying, you know, okay, I want you to have, you know, this uh, venison steak and a lot of greens for breakfast, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's a pretty big gap between where they are and where you might want them to be. So we look at say, okay, well, what's, what's easy to implement there? Okay, your, your breakfast is very low in protein. So maybe you have some high protein yogurt, like a skier or a, a MyQ or a Kavarg or... Um, 
know, the, the Glenisk protein yogurt, any of those, um, you know, a, a decent portion of that, like usually maybe 200 grams or more for most people, um, or using a protein powder, say with their breakfast. And all of a sudden, you know, it's the same sort of breakfast. All they have to do is add in some yogurt, add in some uh, protein powder. Uh, if they're not already having fruit at that meal, then it's an opportunity to get more plants and more fiber in. Um, so, you know, a big bowl of uh, berries would be excellent. Um, and, I, you know, I would encourage people, like, not just to do the little sprinkle that they might put in their oats. Like, it's, it's, it's good, but it's going to be a very small amount, and you can definitely have more, um, especially if you have any sort of weight loss goals, because you're going to want to have big, voluminous meals. Um, so, you know, a big bowl of, like, I use frozen fruit a lot because it's just uh, convenient, like, it doesn't go off. Well, like I'm talking, you know, 300 grams of frozen berries uh, every morning for myself. So not everyone has to eat that much, but um, starting to think about more than just a little fistful uh, is going to be beneficial. And there's so much nutrients in those too, um, in those dark colored uh, fruits and fruits uh, in this case. Um, and then you look at the other meals. So, you know, say if they're, if they're having the sandwich and the bag of crisps and the, and the bar of chocolate, all right, maybe do you have a protein bar? instead of the bar of chocolate, like does that give you an extra 20 grams of protein right away without having to do much difference? Uh, yes, it does. Um, sandwiches, it's hard to fit enough protein into them. So again, we might have to augment that meal with maybe some boiled eggs, maybe some biltong, uh, maybe yogurt again. Again, you can use protein shakes here if you haven't used them in the morning time. Um, and trying to build up someone's dietary pattern little by little and uh, just improve what they're starting with and then you know maybe add some fruit to that lunch as well um so they're getting more plants in that way maybe add some soup uh, that they can prepare themselves or they can buy like convenience is important too so you know if someone can buy a container of soup and just heat that up in the microwave and it's ready to go uh deadly like that's another one to two servings of vegetables straight away um the the pouches of say you know the the lentils you can get uh, they're like the microwave pouches mm. like they're super super handy so you can add them to soup you can have them on the side of a meal um to get more fiber again more plants in and uh smoothies very very good option so you know if someone's gonna have a protein shake in the morning okay maybe we just add some spinach to that as well you know it's not gonna taste any different but you're gonna get more greens in mm. straight away and uh, just keep building on that um as you go so you know you can't do too much too soon and you know you asked me about what's what are some of the the things that people uh struggle with starting out i think if they're doing this by themselves they probably try and do too much too soon and then they set themselves on realistic targets that they can't meet and then you know when you're not meeting a target day after day after day after day uh, you're going to give up because you know you're going to say fuck this this is you know i don't like failing every single day here based on the targets i've set for myself so, you know, I have to look at it and say, okay, what's realistic? What's a little bit better than last week that I could do here? Yeah. Is that, is that, is that a law of 1%? Like, so long as each day you could do, you can be 1%, like 1% is fucking nothing. But if you keep looking to be 1% better each day from whatever point of view, like from nutrition, from a training, whatever point of view it could be, like, it's going to be a really small change that, you know, when you make that small change, you know, consistently, you know, it's not going to be as overwhelming as trying to do, trying to do everything all at once. Like I said there, like when, when you, like people, like we just fucking, we hate that idea of failure and failing, especially when it's a big goal we really value. So it's when you kind of set yourself up in a way that, you, you know, you know, that's going to happen. Like trying to do everything all at once, it inevitably will happen. So it's a case of like, right, 
breakfast. You know, you have the bottle of bottle of this. Let's not go from mass like from you know cereal and really weird kind of like breakfast that you know maybe we want to change from to like oh have a like yeah like your venison steak your chocolate fruit and veg you know go like the bigger you make that jump the harder it's going to be from sustain so i suppose keeping there kind of really really small changes and it's going to yeah. be really key and there's one point you mentioned there that i feel like is it's it's so like it blows people's minds it's the fruit portions people always like I don't know if you know this, like everyone, like you said, that, like, that's, it's that kind of spring, everyone kind of feel like fruits, it's just for sprinkling on top of your things. Whereas when you go to them, like literally fucking have like five handfuls in that bowl and see how you find it. Like, how's yeah. that? It was actually, it was actually really tasty. Yeah, cool. Was, yeah, fuck all calories in it. Cool. If you're dieting yeah. down, that's just made your life a hell of a lot easier. People, they, they, it blows through the minds to hear like, want to have like a massive, humongous bowl of fruit. It makes your life so much better and it tastes great. Mm. yeah fruit is class man like fruit like, is class it's massively overrated people who say like i don't like fruit and veg they're lying yeah yeah it's like <laughs> have, you, have you tried all of them and yeah like, cooked all the different ways if it's vegetables i have tried case. every fruit and every vegetable and they're all disgusting <laughs> no you haven't <laughs> you're a liar <laughs> yeah why must you turn my office into a house of lies <laughs> <laughs> oh, unreal uh but i suppose kind of on the flip side of that there like obviously one thing you mentioned towards the start was in the fiction you help people with that kind of relationship with food because obviously you know it's it's fairly common these days to for people to associate foods as being good food and bad food and i actually put a thing on instagram the other day kind of saying how you know there are no good or bad foods it's more so like like in isolation not the not the end of the world like if you if you have a fucking if you order a domino's and you fucking get domino's every now and then in isolation that's not gonna be bad for you but if it's if it's that takeaway and that's kind of your style of eating time and time again mm. you know that you know that's probably not ideal and i suppose when you kind of if you kind of approach someone who will kind of be very stuck in that mindset of i can't have good i can only have good foods i can't have these quote-unquote bad foods like and people who restrict themselves like how would you kind of go about kind of helping someone move away from the idea of no can't have bad foods can only have good foods like how would you kind of mm. get them being more open to kind of taking in more of these quote-unquote bad foods and not feeling I suppose, bad about it yeah so the, the process there is you gotta there's a couple of things that I, I try and do right first you have to give the person proof that these mm. foods actually aren't bad um, so usually these people are going to be concerned about either losing weight or not gaining weight right mm. um, so you're gonna have to give them proof that this these foods that they've labeled as being bad that they can't have uh, are actually not going to negatively affect this. So this is where like something like tracking your food can actually come in quite handy, because you know if I say, you know, you have your you have your calorie targets and it, you know 200 calories comes from you know chocolate per day, can can we see what happens there? And then inevitably they will see, oh, okay, that actually didn't make any difference. Um, so that's that's one side of it, and then the other side is like. It's, it's mostly a dialogue and kind of like a cognitive approach to saying, you know, okay, why are these foods bad and why are these foods good? So, you know, what's the difference? Like why is 60% dark chocolate bad? But once you hit 70%, you know, that's, that's the magic threshold where it becomes quote unquote healthy. Um, so having that dialogue with people to try and help them see where they're, they're not thinking rationally about it. Um, you know, because, you know, someone's and then we, we, we draw up a list of the foods. I say, OK, what are what are your bad foods list? And then within that, you know, which foods are the least bad? OK, so 
you start with the ones that are the least bad in their opinion and start to actually, well, this is, you know, we're talking about sprinkling things, but actually sprinkle them into their diet a little bit. Um, and after like a week or two of that, it's like, okay, have you, you know, gained enormous amounts of weight or has this upset your weight loss progress? No. Okay. Well, maybe these foods aren't a problem. Yeah. Maybe it's, uh, you know, overall calorie intake matters and how these all fit in relative to the rest of your diet and lifestyle. So that's given the person proof. Um, and then, you know, tr to try and fast track it, like I said, it's kind of dissecting their thought processes around it. So, you know, if, if cocoa pops is a bad food, in their opinion, it's okay. Or if I give you one cocoa pop, then like, you know, is everything go to shit? Like one singular grain. Yeah. And it's like, well, no. Okay. Well, what about two? Well, no. Okay. So where's the line and how do you know where that line is? So actually, actually having these kind of conversations with people, um, can help them come out of that. And sometimes they know rationally that, okay, portions probably do matter more. Um, but they still have that kind of emotional fear of it. And in that case, it's, you know, just take your time. Uh, repetition is actually important here. So even if I say this to you, you know, five or six times, it might not click until the seventh time and you start to actually buy into it. And all the while you're doing this, obviously you're actually including those foods in their diet and they can see that it's not causing a problem. And once they have evidence of that, um, they're pretty much good to go. Then you start looking to include more and more foods that might've been on the bad list. Again, all the time coaching them and educating them on the fact that it's, you know, overall calorie intake that matters for the most part. Um, obviously you can't have your whole entire day of calories made up from just treats and, and snacks. Like it's not going to, it's not going to work out too well. Um, but neither do you have to eat perfectly clean all of the time. Um, so that's, that's the way I would go about that. Oh yeah. I suppose kind of at least that like introducing it in small amounts, you know, kind of having them buy into like kind of having them kind of ask themselves, you know, kind of like, is like you said, that, like, that kind of idea of like, is one kind of bad for you? No, two, no. Well, kind of having them kind of like identify themselves like, oh shit, you know what? Maybe this actually isn't that bad. I suppose mm -hmm. like you can, you can say, you know, this is fine. Go for it as much as you want. But until that clicks for them, that is relatively useless to say to them, if that makes sense. Mm. And I suppose, I feel like another thing that kind of will hold people back from consuming more of these, again, quote unquote, bad foods is the kind of that kind of binge aspect someone i know people who kind of go like they have like a small amount of something but when they have that kind of small amount like a trigger food they'll just kind of keep eating keep eating um when it comes to kind of like i suppose binging on foods and having that issue kind of binging within the diet like how would you kind of where do you feel like that kind of comes from and kind of how would you go about kind of going through a process of kind of being able to have food but like reduce their kind of likelihood to binge on that kind of food yeah yeah so that that definitely builds another layer of kind of food fear if the person thinks you know i can't stop at you know one square of this or, or you know you know one small portion or whatever it may be um there's a few different ways that binging comes about and we can talk about them but you know one of the main ones will be the the restriction type binge so this is what we're we're talking about here is that when you have this list of good foods and these are the only foods you can eat and then the bad foods uh, you can't ever eat them um you're in a position where you're restricting yourself and you know often what i say to people in this situation is like do you not eat those foods because you can't control them or can you not control them because you don't eat those foods right 
um, and they think it's the uh, the former, where it's more likely the latter, because once they do quote unquote break their diet, or they have like you know they're at a, a confirmation or something or a birthday, and they have a bit of cake that's bad and they shouldn't have done that, then it all goes out the window because they're like, oh, well, I've broken my diet now, um, so I'm just going to keep going. And then, and then that just leads to more restriction because they're like, oh, geez, I have to make up for all the extra calories I ate, I ate there or the amount of quote unquote bad food that I had. Um, so trying to get people out of that, obviously, like we've just been talking about. So eliminating this idea of good or bad foods, showing them that, you know, all foods are just on a spectrum and, you know, some are more nutritious and more healthful and you have those more often. Um, but none are off limits, so to speak, unless you have a, a medical reason to do so. Um, so that's the kind of the restriction type binge where, you know, it's restrict, restrict, restrict. Oh, I never really broke my diet. Um, in my mind, I aim to never have this food ever again because it's on my bad list. So I'm going to make the most of it now that I've broken it. Uh, or they just say, fuck it, like, you know, I've, I've messed it up here, so I'm just going to go for it. And then eventually they come back around from that and it's like, okay, I have to make up for all the damage I did there. So it becomes even more restrictive. Then they find it even harder to stick to. And then they just binge even worse. And that's just the cycle. So yeah, um, it's more, you tell yourself not to, it's like saying like, don't press the red button. If you say don't press the red button, you're going to want to press the red button. You know? yeah. Don't have that big bar of chocolate. You're going to want that big fucking massive bar of chocolate. The more I suppose having smaller amounts, you let yourself have that smaller amounts. You're going to be just less, like the more you kind of associate the food as bad or not kind of not optimal for you, you're going to want to stay clear of it a lot more. And if that's the case, then the minute you have it, because you've not had it at all, it's kind of like, I want more and more and more and more and more. Yeah. It's, so it's by, on a pedestal. Yeah. Um, so if you can take the foods off the pedestal where it's like, eh, you know, I had a, I had a biscuit today, but I also had a biscuit yesterday and it was fine. And yeah. it's, it removes that scarcity mindset as well. Yeah. where it's like you know I, it's not a case of i don't know when i might ever have this again it's like oh i could if i could if i want to have a biscuit tomorrow you know i probably could we'll see how i feel it's not a big deal um so that, that's one of the main types of binging and then you've also got like the, the what i call a hunger binge which is not really a binge it's like when somebody you know has their lunch at one o'clock uh maybe they're working until five and maybe they go train afterwards and all of a sudden it's, you know, seven, eight o'clock by the time they're actually eating again, you know, seven hours, six or seven hours later. And it's like, oh, geez, I just binged this evening because, you know, because I, I, I have a problem with this. So it's, it's not that you have a problem with binging. It's that you have a problem with going seven, eight hours without having food. Um, so that's pretty easily rectified. You just don't go that long without eating. And then, you know, that comes into then as well. It's like, okay, people then... Uh, get into a position where they think oh i can't help myself in the evening so i better eat less earlier in the day because i know i'm going to eat a lot in the evening time so i need to like try and balance that out whereas if they just ate more earlier in the day they wouldn't be so ravenous and you know making sure their meal time isn't you know that long between meals um you know it's no problem to go without food for a little while but you know it's very hard if you come home after a long day and you have to put the dinner on and you're starving and you know you're you know if you're going to cook the dinner then you're in the presses and you're in the fridge and whatever's there to grab you're just going to start grabbing it because uh, you're starving hungry so you know that just makes sense and that's that's a pretty easy solve and it's not it's not really a binging issue 
Um, even though people think it's that, that they just have no control. It's like, no, nah, you're just hungry in that case. Yeah, I get you. So I think that's something I, I myself personally would like master kind of see myself in doing as in like I kind of almost notice it myself as in like if I have a meal kind of because I would do a kind of a lot of work kind of a lot of kind of stuff kind of in the afternoon for example or kind of afternoon evening so if I have a meal like one I know that when it comes to like seven eight o'clock when I haven't eaten a thing I'm like shit what's there give it to me now. Yeah. Whereas the case if I kind of take a break at like four or five, I'm like, well, I haven't having something like a moderate meal now. I always know it come like come seven, eight, nine, I'm like, oh, okay, I'm not nearly as hungry. Fucking hell. That was pretty self explanatory. I'll have something small again now and I'll be good to go. You know? Yeah. It's, it's just as simple as that. Yeah. Yeah. In that case, it is as simple yeah. as that. And then uh, the kind of last type of binge you need to have, I suppose, is like an emotional or yeah. stress related binge, um, which can be a bit more complicated, but. You know, in a, in a, at a basic level, that's the body responding to a threat of, say, feeling stressed or sad or emotional or whatever it may be, and using eating as a behavioral solution for that. Um, so you can often distill, you know, nearly all behavior down to, uh, you know, responding to a threat, be it real or perceived, um, or trying to solve the problem or acting out your priorities or values to some extent. Um, so when you look at say emotional eating or binging in response to a stress, um, it, it ticks those boxes, you know, it's responding to a threat. It's actually this, the food is the solution to the problem. In this case, it's not, the, it's not the actual problem. Um, and at that moment in time, your priority is probably to feel better. Um, so that's what you're going to do. And in, in that case, it's a, it's a matter of, you know, the analogy I use is, is this toolbox of like coping mechanisms. So say, you know, you feel really stressed, you're feeling emotional, you need to do something to cope with that. If you open up your toolbox of coping mechanisms and all that's in there is eat a lot of food, you know, what other choice do you have? You know, you open the box, that's the only tool you have. You know, a hammer might not be the best tool for the job, but if that's all you got, then, you know, you have no choice. So it's a, it's a case of trying to give yourself more choice, trying to develop better and alternative coping mechanisms. And I should also say that like eating is not a, a bad way to cope. It just is one way. Um, but it obviously becomes problematic if it's starting to detract from your life, starting to affect you negatively. You know, if you're feeling bad about the fact that you're emotional eating or you, it gives you problems with your weight or if you're trying to lose weight or you know, not trying to gain weight kind of thing, um, that's where it probably needs to be addressed. So trying to teach people the coping mechanisms uh, and, you know, and depending on how severe this is, you know, it may not be up to me to deal with this. We may need uh, to refer out to a counselor or you know, um, someone in a, the psychological health field potentially. But you know, looking at different coping mechanisms, so you know, you have to generate a lot of self-awareness here too, because, you know, if you have a stressful encounter in work at like 12 in the day, that might just set you up to binge that evening. So if you haven't been able to connect those dots, then you may not be in much of a position to stop it. So trying to cultivate some, some awareness, um, you know, if someone's keeping a food diary, then they can add notes about their emotional state uh, if they're struggling with this sort of thing. So we can start to join those dots they start to see, oh, okay, all right, I just had a run in with my boss now. In the past, this has triggered me 
to binge later this evening. So I know I have to go and do something. So I open up my toolbox. Now we hopefully have more options. So, you know, maybe you go for a walk or you call a friend or you, uh, you know, you're trying meditation or journaling, any of that, any, anything like that. Um, you know, you're going to be using that regularly just to keep your stress levels down overall so you can cope better. But then also in an acute setting, when you've been, let's say, triggered, uh, you want to have some options. And that's, you know, at a base, in a basic sense, that's, that's how we would go about resolving that. Brilliant. And like, the toolbox analogy is fucking class. Um, in the sense of like, yeah, like, like when we're stressed out, your body kind of wants to do this, like, <coughs> sorry, it kind of wants to do it like what it can as fast as it can to, you know, eliminate that stress. And like the reality situation is, you know, if we identify eating a big bar of chocolate, as this is really tasty, it's quite nice, you know, that's going to give us that nice happy sensation really, really fast. You know, like your body, what is it? Like there's a great book, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. It's kind of like mm. it, your body's really good at dealing with stresses like straight away, but in the long term, it can't, it's not as efficient. And like, yeah, like if you find that, you know, having a massive bar of chocolate doesn't really align with your goals as a result, doesn't make you feel great. It's like, yeah, you've dealt with that stress for short term, but long term, yeah. it's not doing a lot for you. And then again, like saying that, again, eating is not a bad thing. We don't want to say eating is bad. It's more so a case of when it goes to a point where you're it kind of, to align with your goals or makes you not feel great then it's case like right now we kind of look to add more tools to the toolbox with that being said like how would you, like obviously it's gonna be very kind of person dependent but how would you like go about kind of you know trying to find different ways to deal with stress or emotional eating that was that isn't so much eat? like how would you go about kind of adding more tools into that box um it's a it's a lot of time just a case of trial and error so mm-hmm. yeah like you said it's an you know, meditation might suit you, but it maybe doesn't suit me. Um, like I'll have, I'll have a list essentially. And I'll usually let the person choose from that list, you know, see, you know, what do you think might work for you there? You want to give the, the client as much autonomy as you can. And cause then they're more likely to stick with it if they've made the choice rather than me just telling them, okay, you know, you have to go walk in nature for half an hour every day. Um, which would be great, but if they have to do it begrudgingly, then not so much. Um, and that's just, it's just a case of, you know, okay, maybe we set up, set it up like any, any habit that you would to support someone's health uh, and get that going and then have a, have a, a plan of action for, you know, if, if there's a binge threatening on a day, it's okay. You know what you're going to do. So it's like an, an if then scenario. So if I feel like I'm going to binge, then I do, you know, whatever the, whatever it is, I, I, I draw a bath and read a book in there and have some music going and deal with it that way. Or I talk to a partner or I talk to a friend. Um, because if you actually have a plan in place, it's a lot easier to execute on that rather than feeling like, okay, I need to do something here. So what will I go for? Um, and having to choose in the moment, like decision-making in the moment, like for a lot, and for a lot of things in nutrition, we try and, um, limit that so like you know different example if someone's on the road a lot and they have to eat out of a, of a petrol station a lot it's like i don't really want them going in there and saying okay what will i do it's like okay if i go into a petrol station and they have this then i will get that and kind of a you know a, a flow diagram in a sort of that way um so kind of same thing with making decisions here so it's not like do i choose between eating and and having a bath or calling up a friend or watching my favorite TV show. Um, you have a plan in place already. And then you see, see how that goes. And you know, if it doesn't work, 
for a few times, then, you know, you try something else uh, and you just keep trying things until you find something that does work. Um, so yeah, there's no um, right or wrong way to go about it. Like my, the, the top ones I usually recommend uh, just because they're for their ease of implementation and their effectiveness. It's, you know, journaling and, and meditation or mindfulness practice um, getting out for a walk in nature in a natural environment, maybe the top three. And then we may also look at like the, the psychological component of like the perception of this stress. So kind of getting into the, the realms of the stoicism there where, okay, you know, this, I've interpreted this interaction this way that I usually deem it as being stressful, but you know, maybe I can change that. You know, if I can't change the situation, maybe I change how I interact with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. yeah it makes makes total sense i suppose yeah like i suppose like it makes total sense in terms of kind of obviously like dealing with stress and like the best way possible kind of throwing as much shit at the wall until you find something that sticks is going to be key like myself personally like again i would have found if i was very stressed like again food obviously for a lot of people hence why it's a big a big thing people kind of talk about it's because a lot of people do it and one thing i found personally like again like like i said like walk, going for a walk so like i have a playlist on my phone that it's it's songs that were kind of big or I would listen to. I think it was like summer last year. I was in Canada for like two months, for like two or three, mm. like two or three weeks last year. And like, do you know when you kind of like associate music with a certain like period? Yeah. I would associate plays play with that period. I would like, I really enjoy that time in Canada. So if I'm ever really stressed, it's simply go for like a 20, half an hour, 20 and a half an hour walk, put that playlist on and we come back. It's generally a case of, I feel around there. So it's a case of, yeah, like yeah. A big trial and error thing. You know, see what works for you best. And once you find what works best for you, just kind of, you know, milk stick with it yeah here we go as was when the last thing i want to chat to you about with regards to nutrition that overall health aspect would be from a recovery side of things so i suppose a big thing obviously people who listen to this podcast in general be would be they, they train quite a good bit obviously be it in the gym be it whatever event they want to train for obviously nutrition is going to be a really key consideration to take into account when looking to optimize your performance and recovery in that sport so like from a recovery aspect, what would be your, your most important things to look into when trying to obviously optimize your recovery from a nutrition standpoint? Yeah, from a nutrition standpoint, um, you know, you have to make sure that, first of all, calorie intake is sufficient, you know, so you're not going to recover as well if you're essentially under eating, okay? And then you're looking at, you know, that would be like in a very short term, you could just say that it's like, okay, just the, the energy content matters for recovery. But once you go beyond like a few days or a week, food quality starts to become very important too. So then you're looking at things that are going to provide nutrients. So, you know, you're choosing mostly what we would call healthy foods, whole foods, uh, to make up the bulk of those calories so that you have the vitamins and minerals and electrolytes that you need to recover. Um, carbohydrate replenishment for the vast majority of sports is going to be very very important so eating enough carbohydrate rich foods um you know there's you know, fruits and pastas breads potatoes rice oats cereals all that um they're going to be important because you know you when i talk to people when i talk to athletes okay so like i said the vast majority of athletes are going to use carbohydrates as their fuel source primarily um it would only be like ultra endurance kind of well, not even ultra endurance, just say endurance sports. Okay, they would use a bit of fat as fuel as well, but they're also using carbohydrates. So, you know, it's, it is important for everybody. But for any higher intensity sports or activities like, you know, lifting weights in the gym, um, 
you can't mobilize fat fast enough to use as a fuel there. So it is carbohydrates and, uh, and also the, the creatine phosphate system, um, which is very, very short term. Like it's you know, used up quite fast, but not to go into too much uh, technicalities of it here. Um, you have a, uh, what I call a G tank. So you can think of gas or you can think of glycogen, right? So glycogen is your stored carbohydrates in your muscles and in your liver. So that G tank, you want to think of it as gas tank, is your main fuel source for your activity, right? And that gets replenished, you know, by eating carbohydrate foods over the course of 24, 36 hours and beyond. So that means that it's, it's your carbohydrate intake overall. Um, and say if, you have a, if you're playing sports, have a match uh, or some specific event you need to perform for, it means that having that tank full uh, the few days leading up to that is going to be more important than say what you have on the day or in the, on the morning before the game, right? Because what you have before the game is really just to have uh, in your bloodstream ready to access, but you're still going to get most of your fuel from your gas tank. Um, so that was like a carbohydrate performance tangent, sorry. But uh, additionally, right, for recovery, uh, protein intake is hugely important um, because you're generally going to need those amino acids to rebuild the, the muscle tissue that will have broken down, uh, you know, support the nervous system. Um, so yeah, protein intake is very, very important overall, uh, especially if your calorie intake isn't as high as you want it to be. So maybe, you know, maybe you're an athlete that has to lose uh, some body fat, so maybe you have to be in a calorie deficit for that. Um, so your calorie intake may not be as high as you, you know, to optimize performance. Uh, you're gonna to wanna to make sure your protein intake is good and high there to uh, help you recover and prevent any uh, muscle loss uh, throughout that period. Um, hydration is massively important for recovery uh, and performance. So, you know, if you, if you sweat and lose a bunch of fluids and a bunch of minerals and salts, by training and you don't replenish those, uh, you're not gonna you're not gonna feel very good. You're not gonna perform very well. You're not gonna recover very well. Um, so just you know, it, it doesn't have to be too complicated. But you know, most people would need two to four liters probably of fluids per day. It doesn't have to be just water, but you know, fluids from you know tea, coffee, diet sodas, obviously water itself. Um, they're all good. And you get a certain amount from uh, from foods too. Like when you cook rice, you know, there's a certain amount of water in that raw fruit, uh, those sort of things. And so those would be the, the nutrition considerations, but you know, I, I can't not mention sleep uh, in terms of recovery because yeah. that's going to give you the most return overall uh, for your recovery and performance. So obviously if you're eating very well, that is going to help you perform and recover a lot better uh, than if you weren't. Um, but you want to put those two together where you're sleeping properly, um, you know, getting your seven to nine hours of quality sleep per night uh, and you're eating well and obviously training volume is, you know, supports your recovery if possible. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think big thing there in terms of recovery, I think a lot of people kind of look past is just that idea of sleep. Like, yes, food and training volume is all really important, but, you know, sleep is kind of like, don't forget that. Yeah, it's the most important, I would say. And that's, yeah, that's me as a nutritionist as well. Yeah, <laughs> unreal. So, like, listen, we've chatted a bunch about there fucking obviously kind of nutrition from a from a from a from a from a binging standpoint obviously kind of how look into kind of good and bad foods like recoveries like we've touched on a, a fair amount there i think obviously we'll kind of 
leave a lot of people kind of more well off listening to this podcast. I'm going to give brought a ton of value to a lot of people. So thank you so much for that, Brian. Um, really appreciate you coming on. Um, if anyone wants to kind of like actually find out more about yourself or kind of get to work with yourself in the Fit Clinic, where would they have to go about finding you on socials and all that fun stuff? Yeah, sure. So thanks for having me again. This, uh, this was fun. I always enjoy these sorts of chats. So uh, it was good to come on and, and hopefully people did uh, get some value from this. If, if people have any feedback, um, definitely feel free to, to reach out. But um, yeah, if they want to find out more about uh, myself or the Fit Clinic and what we do, how we might be able to help them, and uh, they can go to thefitclinic.ie. That's our website. So you can find out all about the coaching services there. And um, we have our blog there, which uh, has lots of uh, good content on it. Uh, you can find us on social media. So Instagram, especially, as uh, the Fit Clinic, and also on Facebook, uh, the Fit Clinic. And then if people want to connect with me myself, um, I'm active on Instagram. So Brian Ohangasa is uh, my handle. So you probably have to check the. The episode title or the notes for the spelling of that, but yeah, um, I'll leave uh, I'll leave I'll leave your Instagram in the the show notes so everyone kind of knows how to spell. Yeah, so feel free feel free to reach out to uh, myself or the Fit Link page, and uh, yeah, if anyone thinks that we can help them, um, I would encourage you to get in touch. Brilliant stuff, Brian. Thank you again very much for coming on. I've also been very aware of how much I've been sniffling in this episode, so fantastic about that as well um guys thank you very much for tuning into episode oh, it's, it's either i honestly am not gonna check I, but when i'm recording this this is saturday i meant to post this podcast yesterday i didn't post podcast i was feeling sick so this is going to be episode 32 i believe i could be wrong thank you for listening to episode 31 32 33 34 guys um any questions again for myself shoot me a DM or obviously you want to get to know Brian with, with Brian everything about the Fit Clinic and himself on Instagram and the Fit Clinic and Instagram and social media will be in the show notes as well uh, thank you very much for listening once again guys and uh, I'll see you guys next Friday